for Your Good Ministries International, a ministry going into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. This series is teaching on the law of first reference, that is, how we begin or upon what do we establish all things in our lives, and the law of first institution, that is, to what do we first work all things out in our lives. And now, here's Abraham. Well, again, a warm welcome. Always great to have you with us. We consider it a privilege to be teaching from and sharing around the Word of God. The Word of God sets us free. It sets us up. It always leads us into success into every single area of our lives. I've grown to not just be fond of the Word of God. I'm in love with the Word of God. The Word of God is transformative. It changes any situation from, may I say, bad or deplorable to good and successful. God has a way through His Word, by the counsel of wisdom and advice of His Word, to change any situation in our lives. We can move from literally being dead circumstantially to being quickened and alive, and all because and by and from the Word of God. I trust you enjoy the Word of God as I do, that you've fallen in love with it. Because why would one not love something that is only ever intended and brings about a result that is always and only good for oneself? That's the Word of God. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. The word repentance literally means this, to embrace a different state of mind, to change one's mindset, to move from an old way of thinking to a new and better way of thinking. From a thinking that turns one away from God to a thinking that brings one back to God, who is the fountain of life, who is the one who gives abundant life. Again, that's why Jesus came. We learned that in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I am come that you might have life, and not just life, but have life more abundantly. And he says it's the thief who is the Satan and in context even the Pharisee, the legalistic individual who always downs people, judges people, points out what they're doing wrong. Jesus says, but it's the thief or Satan who comes to do what? To kill, to steal and to destroy. My goodness me. Some people present God as if he's the one who's come to kill, steal and destroy your life. What an upside-down message that is. Jesus clearly defined who's who. He said, I, Jesus, who represents God, the will of the Father. If we want to know the will of God, is it God's will to, for example, heal? Well, go and check if Jesus did that. When Jesus walked the earth, whatever he did, <coughs> pardon me, whatever Jesus did, was always and only to no exception the will of God. The will of God is easily defined. It's defined in and through the person and the person's practices. And that person is the person of Jesus. So the will of God is personified. 
is exemplified, is expressed through the person of Jesus. And Jesus came to do what? To give you life and give you life more abundantly. He gave you sickness. Is he giving you life and life more abundantly? No, he's not doing that. Jesus healed all, says Acts 10 verse 38, who were oppressed by who? By the devil. Not oppressed by God. God doesn't give you sickness. God gives you health. Jesus healed. He didn't give sickness. So let's uh, continue with our series that we call the Law of First Institution, which is simply this. What did God institute firstly? For it is of the highest importance, and from it all else finds life and success. To the cost of it, all else dies and fails and brings consequences. So the thing God instituted firstly was marriage, and then and therefrom, family. So God brought Adam to Eve, he consolidated and instituted marriage, and we are to protect, to nurture, to feed, to safeguard our marriages. Do nothing in this life that compromises your marriage. All things that we do in this life are to feed into and be a blessing to our marriage. So if it's draining or sucking the life out of our marriage, stop doing that. Or redress or realign how we're doing that. It's to be a blessing to our marriage, not to compromise or cause our marriage to fail. So last week we closed out from the book of Romans chapter 12, reading verse 1 and 2. I'm going to read it, make very few comments in its regard, because I want to press on and conclude today a foundation before we teach into marriage and family. So Paul says, I beseech you, I'm imploring with an earnest angst, I'm asking you to please respond to this. And he says, by the mercies of God. Once to lay a foundation that you must run to God because God is merciful, which means you don't get what you deserve. Run to God, says Paul. Don't run away from God. Yes, you may have messed up. You may be in a destructive, disastrous place. You may have made some bad decisions. Maybe done some very, 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 very bad things. At that point in time, please don't run away from God, says Paul. Run to God. Come to Him. Like the lost son ran back to the father, he'll open up his arms wildly. He'll run to you. He'll embrace you. The prodigal son came from a pigsty. He stank. He was in a bad place. That father embraced him and loved him. He waited for him. He looked out for him day after day, wantingly, earnestly, with an imploring heart, desiring to see that son, even in his most depraved, despicable state. Want him to run back to him so he can embrace him and love him to good health. Ah, that's the God we serve. That's the good God we serve. See, so by the mercies of God that you present your bodies. In other words, willingly present your old way of thinking. Put it on the altar. Let it die. It's destroying your life. And put it on the altar. You don't want that thinking anymore. It's stinking thinking. Bring about a stinking result. You don't want that anymore. Paul is saying... It says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, your way, your old way of thinking that's brought about demise and, and suffering and failure and breakup and heartache. Ah, ah, ah. He says, go and present that as a living sacrifice. It says, holy, in other words, separate yourself from it. Be ye separate is what holy really means. It says, separate yourself from that bad, stinking thinking. It's causing you to fail. And embrace a new way of thinking that releases life. 
abundant life, peace and joy, an inheritance and a legacy to your children's children. Ah, friends, good to live for a broader purpose than yourself. He says, holy and acceptable to God. God accepts you. That you wouldn't want to lay down your old way of thinking and embrace a new God will accept you. He will never, ever, ever reject you. She's says, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He's saying it's reasonable. Hey, friends, it's a reasonable thing to do. Just lay down that stinking thinking. The old way that's brought about such bad results. That should be a reasonable thing for us to contemplate. Firstly, because we know that God is merciful and willingly and wantingly will always, will always, will always embrace us. And never, 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 never reject us. Then he says, and do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't go back to that old way of thinking. Why? Man, you don't want the same results. You want better results. You want good results. He says, and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world or the way that this world thinks is what he's saying. Don't go into its mold, its dasset, its, its way of thinking. Don't be conformed to that. He says, but how will you then progress? He says, well, lay down your stinking thinking, your old way that brought about bad results. Be resolute to say, I'm not going back to the old way of thinking. I've been conformed by wrong thinking. Then he says, what do you do next? He says, but be ye transformed, metamorphosized, a caterpillar to a butterfly. Be ye transformed. How? How will I transform my life? How will I change from failure to success? From pain and heartache to good health and joy and success. How will I get there? It says by metamorphosizing, by renewing your mind. Because as a man thinks so easy, as a man thinks so he does. You can only do that that's aligned to your thinking. So I want to lay down my stinking thinking and pick up a fragrant thinking. The thinking of God taught by his word. So how do we renew our minds? By the Word of God. The Word of God is a powerful agent, friends. It is powerful. It will change your mind faster than the world conformed it in the past. When you go to the Word of God and you open your heart to the Word of God and say, Lord God, I want that planted deep in a fertile heart. I'm accepting your Word. Lord God, I'm going to water that Word. I want a different result. I want a changed result. I want to leave a legacy. I want a happy marriage, happy family. I don't want to see my sons or my daughters suffer. My grandchildren pick up the consequence of my bad choices. Oh, but I want to live to leave something of success and a blessing and that that's prosperous in and through my marriage towards my spouse, in and through my children, towards and into their marriages, and in and through their marriages into my grandchildren. And my children's children's children. Friends, so often when one couple makes that decision, the Bible says their blessing will go to a thousand generations. I'm seeing it. I'm living it. I was in a deplorable place. But I embraced God's thinking. I renewed my mind to God's way of thinking. Now my thoughts determine my decisions. My decisions now are God-inclined, word-inclined, which brings about God's purpose and intent for me, living in an abundant life. And knowing by experience, Paul says in Romans 12, as he now concludes this portion, 
in verse 2. The good. God's will is good. It's not bad. The good, the acceptable, and the perfect, which means coming to full maturation. In other words, living in and enjoying the blessed estate of God, the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. In the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 46 to 49, uh, Jesus says some very interesting things. And I want to pick up on that portion of Scripture right now. For Your Good Ministries International. A ministry whose vision it is to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. For Your Good both hosts its own conferences and is also invited into other contexts to train and to teach. Two, train pastors and leaders and others in the fivefold ministry. Training to church governance with resultant unity. Mediate into and bring about conflict resolution. Training to marriage, family and parenting. Training to the business sectors on how to be in unity and function successfully for unity commands a blessing. Trains too into the educational sectors on how to be in unity and function successfully for unity commands a blessing. For Your Good also establishes Bible colleges. For Your Good Ministries, ministers on Christian radio, on online platforms, and on various social media platforms. Partner with us for For Your Good Ministries as a heart for all is going into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. And Email us for more information on our ministry services or to train into your context. Reach out to us on inquiries at foryourgood.net. So Jesus speaking, he says this. He says, but why do you call me Lord? Lord, and do not do the things which I say. Because his Lordship brings us to a blessed estate, that abundant life. So Jesus is saying, you're saying something, but you're not aligning it up to doing the good counsel I give you. And so unless you do the good counsel that I give you from Scripture by the Word of God, calling me Lord is a contradiction because you're not going to get the results of my intention. So Jesus loving is saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? Because until you do the things I say, my Lordship that brings about my best result for you can't happen. Then he explains himself and he says this. He says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, there's the key. Until we're doing the word, the book of James says, if we don't do the word of God and we only hear it, we're deceiving ourselves. What is he saying? Thinking we're going to get a result that's not going to come unless we do the word of God. So again, Jesus says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. There's the key. Be ye doers of the word and does them. He says, I will show you whom he is like. That is describing the outcome of one who hears what he says, 
or what the Word of God teaches, and does them. He says, I will show you whom he, whom he is like. He is like a man building a house. Jesus often used natural things or things common to the understanding of man to describe a very salient, depthy spiritual truth or point. He says, he is like a man building a house who dug a deep, pardon me, who dug deep and laid solid foundations. That's the word of God. The deeper we dig foundations and the more solid we lay them, the higher the building can be built and it will stand come what may. That's why engineers overspec foundations so that whatever comes against the building that's been built, it shall not fail. So if I'm not building my marriage on the foundations of God's word and digging deep into God's word and applying and doing God's word, well, Jesus describes what's going to happen. He says, but this wise person who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, the rock is Jesus and Jesus represents the word. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and that is Jesus. He says, then when the flood arose, in other words, when the world is going haywire, when things want to challenge the context in your life, when your business is coming on onslaught, the world is in a bad place, there's a depression. When that wind blows at your business or at your marriage, your marriage is going to still stand, your business is still going to stand. In fact, it's going to flourish. We flourish in depressive times. We don't frown and step back. He says, and when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house, the house of the context is built on the foundation of God's word, deeply dug foundations of God's word. He says, it could not shake it. Why? For it was founded on the rock. The word of God is a rock. It's a solid foundation. The best place to build a house is to dig into rock and cast a foundation there. Because on that rock, your foundation is extended. And of course, the ultimate rock is the person of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 49, it says, But he who heard, but did nothing. I would even heard the word. I taught the word. I'm doing that now. I trust you're not a hearer only, but a doer of the word. Because if we hear only, it says this, But he who heard and did nothing... Is like a man who built his house on the earth or in the sand without a foundation. This person didn't even consider a foundation, which is the word of God. Just started to build a house on some loose sand. Well, that's not too smart. That ain't going to stand too long. And Jesus goes on to describe that. He says, but he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth or on the sand without a foundation. Not too clever. Against which the stream beat vehemently. And immediately. It fell. Friends, if we're building our marriage on the sand. Don't have the foundation of God's word. Sometimes just the breeze needs to blow. And our marriage falls down. But there he says. It, 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 it beat vehemently. And immediately. So in the context of marriage, this is why, and it will be the result, this is why our marriage fails. Friends, I know it. I know the pain of it in my first eight years of marriage, nearly close to 40 years married today. But as soon as the winds came, and I left the door wide open for the winds as well for that matter, but I hadn't built my house on the rock. 
I didn't foundation my marriage on the word of God. So when the winds blew and various winds came, but I'd given them opportunity by my not applying and appropriate in doing the word of God to blow my marriage down. My marriage was desecrated back up until September 1991. I'll always remember that date because it was then that God turned my life around by running to him and engaging and embracing his word to do it to lay a foundation that when the next winds come, no matter what the winds are, the winds of the wacky thinking of the world, the winds that want to break my marriage down, are built it on the rock, on the foundation of God's word. And I'm digging all the time, deeper and deeper that foundation, so that my marriage will stand. Why? I want to leave a legacy of a marriage that was successful. That from it, it's a blessing to my children, to their spouses, to my children's children, my grandchildren. You'll see behind my shoulder, my grandson's art. I love my grandsons, besotted by them. They have lovely names, Caleb, John Micah, and Elisha. Hey, I like those names. Good biblical names with great meanings. Go and study out the meanings of their names. Powerful names. But they love God. They're serving God. They talk about Jesus. They pray to Jesus. And I know much of that started by Vanessa and I in September 91 saying, you know what? We're drawing a line in the sand. We're no longer going down the road of desecration in our personal capacity, and in and around us through our family and friendship circle. Most all of their marriages were in a bad, bad place. Why? Because they heard at best the teachings of Scripture, but did not do them. So we began to do that, and now we're living in a totally different result. So it says, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. In other words, the consequences of a failed, in this context, marriage, the consequences of a failed marriage, friends, is great. There's no failed marriage that doesn't come with consequences. However, by the word, we can restore and reconcile to a great extent and have a testimony as Vanessa and I have. We can have that. But I wish I was wise enough at the start to avoid the pain and the consequence and the anguish and the struggle and the heartache and the brokenness. I wish I did it better the first time around. But thanks be to God, it can change. However, prevention is always better than cure. If you're getting married again or about to be married, take my counsel, take the advice of Scripture, build your house on the rock, foundation it on the Word of God, transform your mind, align it to God's Word, and then and only then get married. Not wise to start building until foundations are in place. When you say, I do, make sure you're saying, I do know how to do this thing when you say, I do. Don't say, I do, when I don't know how to, because you're going to have great consequences. It says, and great ruin was the result of that house that fell. Trust God's word, friend. God's word is your friend, it's your ally, it's your companion, it's your strength. When you build on God's word, my goodness me, things change, drastically change, for the, for the good, for the good. Remember, God is good. God loves you. God cares for you. In Psalm 107 verse 20 says, He sent His word to do what? To heal you. Friends, all of us in some shape or form, if we're honest with ourselves, 
perhaps some aren't honest with themselves. But all of us, in some shape or form, we need healing. God didn't come to make bad people good. That's a religious bigot attitude. God came to make sick people well. He sent his word to heal you. Sick means not living in the health of his intention. So God came to make us well. So he says he sent his word to heal you and then and therefrom to deliver you from all of your destruction. So as we close out this episode today, let's just remind ourselves of a few pointers by looking at some different scriptures. In Isaiah 4 verse 6, God gives us the answer for why we perish or why we struggle or why we fail. I love it that God gives me an answer. Because if I know why I'm hurting, I can change my why to a why not, I won't be hurt again. So it says, my people perish, those are people who know God, who hear the word. My people perish because of a lack of knowledge. That lack of knowledge means knowing to do. So my people perish, they may know, but they're not knowing to do, they're not doing my word. And so we perish in any area of our lives, especially our marriage and our family. We need to learn how to be a husband, how to be a wife, how to be a father, and that's huge. We'll teach on fatherhood down the road. If you're not functioning as a father, you must listen to this. God's going to restore your fathership and bring your children back to you because the word is powerful. Learn how to be a mother, how to be parents, how to make financial decisions, how to run a business, how to establish and lead a church. Don't plant the church until your disciples know how to do it. That's one of the big reasons why so many churches fail. People respond to the call and not the sending. Jesus called them prepared and then he sent. So God has called us to be married. He prepares us and then we are to be married. Don't get married until you're prepared and ready and know how to do that thing. It's going to fail. And great will be its destruction. So we perish because of a lack of knowledge. And John 1 verse 1, what did we do in the beginning? We go to the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Go to the Word of God in the beginning. The law first reference. Go to the Word of God before you start anything, especially marriage. And Psalm 119 verse 105, God says, My Word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your pathway. In other words, my Word will cast light into your present, a lamp to your feet, and be a light to your pathway. It will show you your future. So if your present is not what you desire to be, cast the lamp of God's Word there. It will bring about a change and will take you to your future. A lamp to your feet and a light to your pathway. That's the word of God. It's a light, it's a lamp. It dispels darkness. It overcomes pain, heartache and failure. And then we'll pick up next week from John chapter 8. Talk a little bit into that. And then next week we'll also start to speak into scripts of the earth relate to marriage. We'll start by going to Genesis chapter 2. Look at how God institutes marriage, something of the role of the husband and the wife. And then, then and therefrom, we're talking to other contexts of Scripture. We'll first talk, however, from Genesis 2, the ideal way to advance towards that spouse that God has for you. We thank you for joining us in viewing this program and look forward to meeting with you next week as we continue with this series.